Congress did manage to get some big bills passed last week, you might have heard, but it made little progress on normal appropriations for fiscal 2023. In fact, another continuing resolution on October 1st is looking inevitable. We get the latest from WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. And let's start right at the top with the budget here, Mitchell. Ranking members of important committees are saying, nope, we're not going to get it done. Right. Despite all the activity that's been going on on Capitol Hill over the last several days and last week with the House rushing to get out, really, it was pretty amazing to hear when we were in a reporter session with House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, and he was asked directly, are we looking at a possible CR? He said, just frankly, it's inevitable. I mean, without any doubt. And he just said, you know, we have six appropriations bills that are teed up here in the House, but that was why they didn't vote on them last Last week, because he said if we vote on them, they're not going to go anywhere. And of course, he pointed the finger, uh, which he can, at the Senate, which just continually, year after year, as you know, does not come through and everything gets pushed back. So he has no doubt that the CR is coming down the line. Even though uh, a lot of these bills, they did a lot of work on them in the House over the last several weeks, they probably could have had votes on several of these bills. But he said, Steny Hoyer said, they're just not going to do it unless the one possibility would be with budget reconciliation. We can talk about that in a moment. If the House were to come back in August at some point uh, during their break, essentially, uh, he says it is possible that they could take a vote on some of these appropriations bills, but he doesn't really indicate there's a lot of optimism there. And if they therefore think that it is inevitable, then they probably won't do any further work on it until the CR takes place, and then they'll rush it into an omnibus? Yeah, that's what it looks like once again, because Steny Hoyer just saying, you know, why basically put in all this work on the House side if it's just going to end up in the CR anyway? And so then we're going to get into that usual even more intense situation with the midterms coming up where we are going to get the CR and everything jammed into the omnibus and them just trying to stretch it out as long as they can. And so then how could reconciliation figure in at this point? Well, that could actually move along some of these appropriations bills, as I alluded to. Uh, Really, it was a bombshell that uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced this deal late last week. It actually surprised many Democratic senators, and that was intentional, I believe. There's been a huge cat and mouse game going on with not only Democrats, but Republicans. Uh, You may recall that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the top Republican, had threatened to just say, no, we're not going to go along with the CHIPS bill. If you guys start moving ahead on budget reconciliation, everything kind of quieted down. Actually, Senator Manchin got COVID, and I think many Republicans thought that the Democrats just weren't going to get anything moved forward. Suddenly, they come out with this announcement for a a very much pared-down Build Back Better. They don't even call it Build Back Better anymore. In fact, to buffet itself against inflation charges from Republicans, they're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. So what could happen is this week, if things all fell into place, and a lot of things have to fall into place for the Democrats, they could push through this budget reconciliation, obviously with no support from the Republicans who are strongly opposed to it. And then if the House had to come back, they could pick up some of these appropriations bills, but a lot of moving parts as usual here. Right. Well, they're kind of like alcoholics on their 15th round <laughs> saying, don't right. worry, I can handle it. I can handle it. You know, calling that deficit reduction. But Exactly. It's, straight face. It's really amazing that this even came around. I, I, frankly, there were a lot of Democratic lawmakers that just did not think it would get even this close at this point. And just switching gears here, by the way, we're speaking with WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. Congress has been really looking at this VA 
electronic health record system, which is getting more expensive further out into the future and just been troublesome where it has been tested at facilities. And so with Congress getting involved, things could get complicated there. Absolutely. A lot of members of Congress from both parties are really concerned about the costs of this, moving, migrating this electronic health record system and making it get over supposedly to improve it. The House VA committee ranking member, Mike Bost of Illinois, he was really upset in connection with a proceeding last week saying that it's going to cost something on the order of close to $40 billion to implement over about 13 years. And then there are maintenance costs that go along with it. He essentially says it's just going to be a bad investment. Some of the Democrats, while they also share those concerns, say, look, we're already spending a lot of this money. We need to get this basically on the right track so that it actually takes place. But uh, as you're well aware, the VA has had a lot of issues in connection with electronic records and computers just being outdated. And it is really becoming a tough job to move all these records over. I think one item that might help is the fact that the prime contractor here, Cerner Corporation, was acquired. That acquisition just completed a couple months ago by Oracle, which has a long, long, long history. It's one of the original federal IT contractors. That's right. And there's some technical chops there and some political savvy and some acquisition savvy that uh, we could still see kick in. Yeah, that, I agree with you that Oracle could really help things along instead of having what happens, as you know, uh, with a lot of these agencies, it just gets this inertia and it just never seems to get resolved. Whereas this is a company that does have a track record, as you say, that could push this along. And I think that there are some lawmakers that are really hoping that will happen. And getting back to the CHIPS Act, besides the semiconductor industry, there is a lot more in this that I think has been a little bit overlooked. And that is what it does for the Commerce Department the Energy Department, and I think the National Science Foundation. Right. A lot of the attention, of course, has gone to the $52 billion that will essentially subsidize a lot of the semiconductor industry and go into some of the research. But really, there are hundreds of billions of dollars in addition to this that are going to everything from NASA to the Energy Department. I mean, just to run down to some of the areas where they're going to be getting money, this is partly from a breakout that was released by Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen. National Science Foundation getting more than $80 billion over five years. NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, is going to double its financial baseline. The Department of Energy overall, the Office of Science, getting $50 billion. And there's nearly $18 billion more for DOE. Also, a lot of people don't know this, but the Department of Commerce is getting billions of dollars for technology hubs. And this is this idea that they would basically utilize the government to spur more creation of inventions, technology, and move all of this forward. So there's a lot here, more than meets the eye, I think, for something like CHIPS, which, of course, politically, as you're aware, Democrats and Republicans are really praising this as something that they have been trying to do for years and just haven't been able to do it. It's gone through something like six different names over the years before they finally decided to call it. Uh, Senator Schumer said they, they're going to call it CHIPS and Science is the name of the bill. And then it was later passed by the House last week. So this was a pretty big accomplishment for Congress in a year when a lot of differences still remain. And just to clarify, Clarify that additional money for those agencies is authorized in the bill, but not appropriated. Correct? Exactly. So it's sitting there, but yes, it still needs to be appropriated. Exactly. Well, the chips are up. Mitchell Miller, his <laughs> Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. Thanks so much. You bet. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to it? as a leader, and what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has you know, been at the highest levels and all. But I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood, and I and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind that that what we say and do. especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, 
I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of the Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.